Beyond the Ranch with Jay Gannon from Find the Ranch. Welcome to Beyond the Wrench. I'm your host, Jay Ganinen, and today we welcome one of the most respected fixed ops directors in the business to the show. Ed Roberts is the fixed operations director at Bozard Ford Lincoln in St. Augustine, Florida. And as you'll hear in our discussion, Ed's ability to develop and execute a plan of attack for a dealership is second to none. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Ed and to witness a culture that I have not seen anywhere else. He takes leadership very seriously, and I'm, I'm excited to learn more about his approach. Ed, I'm happy that we were able to get you on the program. How are you doing today? Excellent, Jay. I'm glad to be here. Good, good. So uh, similar to what we've done with other podcasts, I want to start off by uh, first kind of talking about how you got into the business in the first place. And, and I think it'll be a fun conversation because uh, of what I mentioned in the intro and in, in how effective you are in it. I, I want to dig into to start with, how did you get into the business in the first place? I got into the business kind of by accident. The, uh, I, I grew up very, very, very poor. And uh, there was a lot of times that we was uh, maybe a day or two from being homeless. And I, uh, I created an interest in, uh, in automobiles by working on a lawnmower to earn a little money as a teenager and uh, then took, took it in tech school. Ended up starting at a Ford dealership and uh, put the rest of it behind me. Give you a quick synopsis of that. I started at a Ford dealership as an apprentice technician in 1992. And by 99, I was the shop foreman of the Ford store. Ford recruited me in 2000. Went to work for Ford Motor Company for a couple of years. Left them because I needed to take care of some family members. And so came back home. Got back on the dealership side of it in 04. I was told that if I uh, didn't show up for a quarterly performance meeting, I may not have a job to come back to. Well, I wasn't going to show up because my daughter was being born. Oh, my. And uh, so I told them I wouldn't be there. And I came back, put my notice in, and that is probably the best thing I've ever done in the car business because it allowed me to spread my wings a bit. Moved to the Carolinas for a period of time. Lived in both North Carolina and South Carolina. Went to Atlanta for a little while. During the downturn of the... Uh, economy. I was in Atlanta and I joined on with a group there and helped them acquire some stores because they was bargain shopping and bought some stores. So that was kind of a fun deal. Yeah. Came back to Florida in the middle of the recession and actually went back into the shop at the end of 08 and all of 09. I worked as a technician again for the first time in 11 years. I was back ranching again uh, because there was no sense in going and looking for something. I intended on just stocking shelves at Walmart if I needed to. Uh, just to stay busy until things turned around. But a friend of mine called and said, hey, if you're going to do anything, you'll come work for me. So I did. And that just happened to be, and most people don't know this, so you're going to hear it here. That just happened to be at Bozard Ford. Really? Went down there, worked there as a tech for a year, and uh, then got an opportunity to go to another Ford store in Jacksonville as a fixed ops director again. So I went there for three years. A lot of things changed at Bozard while I was gone, new GM, and GMs like to have their own people in their pocket. And so the people that are existing aren't their own people. So there was some turnover there. And uh, I felt like when I was there as a tech that there was nobody really harnessed the opportunities that was there. But it was still my buddy that was there and that new GM and let go of my, my friend. So there was a little bit of distrust there to begin with. 
even though I was telling my friend, hey, you got to get off your butt. It's time to roll. And Well, it took about two years for him to convince me that, that he wasn't a bad guy and needed to kind of work for him. And, and I knew the ownership. I've known the ownership since I got into the business. So I went down and uh, started it at Bozart for the second time in September of 2012. And uh, took over that store with seven technicians, three advisors. Really only needed two advisors, but uh, there was three. And the uh, fast forward to almost eight years later, uh, like in a couple of months, and we have 79 technicians, 19 advisors, and every one of the advisors that I started with back then is still there. That's wow. unheard of. Wow. Not all the technicians are, but of those seven, there's five of them still there. Wow. Um, and we have grown from there. And, and we, like you said in the beginning, there's a culture there. And uh, we, we have built a culture that drives that store and really allows us to execute things in a timely manner that is unheard of in the industry. So the bigger the ship gets, usually it's a little bit, it takes a little longer to turn that thing around and get those rudders moving. But we can turn that place on a dime because of the level of trust and the culture that's there. So. And everybody's uh, rowing in the right, hit. in the same direction, right? Yeah, everybody's going in the same direction. Absolutely. When COVID hit, we needed to make some turns, and we did, because ultimately our walk-in traffic virtually eliminated because everybody was staying home, and our our phone traffic cut in half. So we was instantly able to flip the switch and start doing some things to prospect, and our value went down a touch. Um, well, There's some spikes where it went up a bit, but I ran the numbers today to uh, looking back at some other stuff, not necessarily for this meeting, but looking back at some other stuff and compared January, February to March and April. And we're a seven day a week store. The, uh, I only run my quick lane on Sundays. My service yep. department's closed on Sunday. But during COVID we closed on Sunday and I'm still closed on Sunday in quick lane. And we'll do that until Florida enters phase two. Uh, and I feel like we're fairly close to doing that. We wrote 12,200 something repair orders in January and February combined. Uh, working seven days a week with 31 days in uh, in January and 29 in February, so a 60-day window. Wow. And then in March and, and April, in the midst of COVID, we wrote 12,743, so almost a $500 increase in a time that we was working less days because I wasn't working Sunday. Yep. Um, I was bringing it to time. My RO value dropped just a touch. On the, on the service side, but when you add in quick lane, um, January, February was $350 in RO with quick lane in there. Wow. March and April was $349, so I'm a dollar difference between the two. That's insane. To be able to hold that kind of deal in, those, in that time where we took some technicians, did some other things with them, refurbished or quick lane, and that, it, uh, it's a true testament to the culture that you have there. That we well, have there. And I, that's what I want to talk about a little bit. Um, you know, as, as we go into this, I think one of the things that I, I'll start this conversation off with is one of the most impressive things that I saw uh, was a couple of weeks ago, we were on the phone just talking about kind of the kind of recruiting process and how you grow your own. And it, what was cool to me was that it was more than just lip service, right? That there was, there was truly something different there. And I will say you're the first person that I've ever talked to that uh, you grabbed your laptop and took me on a tour of the entire shop and, and were introducing me to people. And I just thought it was the coolest thing that you did that. And just how 
organically happy those the people were right it wasn't forced it wasn't it wasn't like hey ed's coming out here act nice it was truly like they cared about being there and they cared about you as a person they cared about the other people in the building as as people and i think there's a lot of businesses not just shops businesses in, in general that say that they care about people and they say a lot of the great things and they put it on posters on their walls but not very many people do it and it's it's hard to put in writing and it's hard to put down like what what that is but i want to know was that intentional was that uh or was it more just the people that you hire are just good people what's the baseline foundation of the culture that you've created so it, it isn't that we just hire good people because as i tell our people every dealership hires our local people and that's just the way it is. I mean, there's people that moves in or whatever, but people that work at the store down the street or the people that live around that store down the street and people that work for us or the people that live around us. So ultimately it's the environment that you bring them into and the process that you put in place and practicing what you preach. But there is some requirements on, on our hiring process and, and we only hire when we evaluate you, whether you can fit into the three C's of who we want you to be. And the first C is competency. Can you do the job? Well, that is a little bit misleading because I don't really care whether you can do the job. I really care whether you're, you can learn to do the job. So that's the competency piece that I look for. Are you teachable? Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to create a career? And so that, that's C number one. C number two is character. Are you a good person? That's a judgment call. Uh, you're sitting across from me, you can put on a good show or whatever else, but you can watch body language. You can pick up on, on, on whether you're getting the true person in front of you or if you're getting the show from them. And one of the things that you can do to figure that out is you can answer, ask some questions, take them down a whole different path, and then come back to that. And if those answers change, then it probably wasn't the truth to begin with, and that probably tells you that that character is a little bit challenged. But it is a judgment call at the end of the day on that. Then the, the third C, and most importantly to me, is chemistry. Can you fit in? Because there are good people out there that wouldn't necessarily fit into our environment, not because they're a bad person, just because they do things differently. And we're a very inner supportive team. And there's a lot of people out there that feels like that nobody can do it better than them, so they have to do it themselves. Well, that doesn't get anybody anywhere. That doesn't help grow anybody. So we don't necessarily look for those people or we don't, you don't get very far in the interview process when we figure out that that's what kind of person you are. But in every hire situation we go through, whether it's an apprentice or the few people that we hire from moving in from out of town or whatever else, the three C's is a big piece of that. Well, and I think that's when, when we talk about people executing as compared to people talking, that's one of the biggest things that I see with you guys where you're executing the, the three C's, right? And, and when, when you say that character is the most important thing to you and, and the, the, the chemistry, I'm sorry, is the most important thing to you, but you look at those, the three C's in general and you, you really are, you're, you're hiring and firing based off of that stuff, which is when it comes down to core values of, of you know, it's more than just talk, right? Like this is, this is real stuff. And that's one of the most common mistakes that I see in shops is that 
they'll chase the technical aptitude like that, right? Like if, if somebody shows up and they've got all the certifications and they've got, you know, they show up and they're very proud of all of that. And I think it's very easy for, for shop managers to kind of just fall for it, right? Like, and I, I don't mean it in a bad way because I think we look far too much at the technical side and the technical skill more so than the actual fit and not the the best thing that you can say. And I think that shops everywhere need to understand is that they need to fit in with your culture. It's not the other way around. And, and you know, there's a difference there that I don't see everywhere. And I think that's where I, I respect the hell out of what you guys do because of that. You stick to that and you don't really budge. And I think that's hugely important to keeping that culture that you've got. It is. And, and as a smaller store and earlier on, you, you need some of that technical aptitude. You got to have that ability in the shop. As you grow, we have that ability out there and we're inner supportive. My guy that's been there for 25 years, he doesn't mind helping that guy that's been there for 25 days. So when you're inner supportive, you, you spread that knowledge so much faster. And we, we offer, we truly want to go around these technical schools. We offer a career path. And yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a technician. Some of these kids from the technical school, they're my warranty administrators now. They're my parts counter people now. They're advisors. Um, they're technicians. And so the opportunity is there. If they don't want to make the investment in tools, but they want to be in the car business, then we have opportunity to, to test drive them, see if they fit, what their skill set is, and where they fit the best. And if they, have, if they pay attention to detail, but not necessarily can meet somebody at their level personality-wise, that probably makes for, and, and they somewhat have some technical ability. That's the good makings of a warranty administrator. Yeah. And so they could go there and, 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 and then you, you teach that job and, and somewhere else they say, well, you can't make it as a technician. I never give you a chance as an advisor and they're out the door and they're doing something. They're off to a different career. And we try to find what fits that person's skill set because they'll embrace it better. And they become more loyal to you when they come in from an entry level and they have a path that they can travel down. And with technicians, this is a, they can start in quick lane and they move to TDP and they move to C levels deck in the shop and then they, they move on to there until they become a master tech. And if somebody wants to hire them away, so be it. They can go test drive them, but that doesn't happen. They don't go looking. And if they're not looking, nobody else out there, None of these other service managers out there has their phone number because they hadn't bounced around five times. Yep. So they're not calling them up and saying, hey, come see me because they started with me and they've never left me. So nobody's in their ear. There's ads out there, but why go look at that ad? And then when, when things like COVID comes along and we tell them from March 13th, the day after things started shutting down on March 12th, that our intent, now we're going to look at this from 60 day windows but our intent is not to cut anyone. Wow. I may ask you to do some different things, but let's get through this together and help us in areas that we can do different things in while we get through this. And then on March, I don't know, last week of March, we, we, we guaranteed them all a certain amount of money, regardless of whether they have to go home or not or, or whatever, because they need to take care of a family member or whatever. One of the guys come up to me, he's been working for me now for, uh, about three years. He's from the Virgin Islands. I hired him from JTEC. And he said, Mr. Roberts, that right there, the conversation that we had, because I did it with the owners, is the reason I will never leave this place. Wow. And if he'll come tell that to me, 
he's not just going to stop there. He's going to tell his buddies that. He's going to tell other people that, that he went to school with. He's going to tell his coworkers that. Those elements is what intensifies the level of culture there. Yeah. And so we had technicians, quick lane technicians, doing dual trade stuff for us. We reconditioned our quick lane um, because we got a grand opening coming soon because we're building a new Lincoln store and, and a Ford's garage. And, and we're not going to do a Lincoln grand opening. We're going to do a Bozard grand opening. So everything needs to be fresh and everything needs to be new. And we was wondering how are we going to shut down quick lane to refresh what we need to do over there, run 140 cars through there a day. COVID hit. It gave us the opportunity to do that. So we capitalized on some opportunity. And then when you go back and look at it, and I was kind of blown away, I expected it to be about 90% of RO count. And we wrote 500 more repair orders in doing that stuff. And RO value dropped very little. I mean, that's, that's unheard of. That is, that is. But that, I mean, that shows the value of just being a good person too, right? Of communicating upfront, like, this is our intent. We can't promise anything. We're, we're, we're really, we're trying to figure this thing out ourselves. But our intent is to, to take care of you. You're part of our family. We, we believe that it's not just a, you know, it's not just a tagline. Your best interest is in our best interest and we want to take care of you. I think that's cool. And I think kind of circling back to your career path piece that you talked about too, when you were giving me the video tour of the dealership, you stopped and asked the tech and I, forgive me, I forget his name, but what his next step was in his career progression. And he knew. Like it, it wasn't like he, he's like, oh yes. Uh, and he answered it on the spot. And I just was amazed by that. I've never seen that before where, yes, you've got a career path and an actual career path. We don't just say that we have a career path. We have one for you. And he knew what his next step was, which to me just blew my mind. So that is a key part to our success is we communicate. And it has driven me crazy through COVID because it's, it minimized some of that communication. Every single morning, I have a technician huddle. And a lot of dealers talk about that, and they say they do it and whatever else. And they do it some of the time. But it's important to do it all of the time. Yes. And talk about the hiccups that happened yesterday. When you can talk about it being fresh, one, you've already talked to the person that caused the hiccup. And then two, you talk about it as a group to prevent it from happening again as a group. Everybody learns from that. And then also you, you celebrate the bright spots because when you have that quick huddle, unless there's something really negative that you need to talk about, you want to talk about mostly all bright spots. And then when you call out three or four names there, guess what the rest of the guys are doing? They're trying to get their name called about tomorrow. Yeah. So it motivates them. It drives them. We had our first advisor meeting today and we've done stuff through Zoom or whatever. We had our first in-person advisor meeting since COVID and, and we typically meet every other week on the advisor side of it. And we would meet at 6.30 and let it carry into the, my open hour at 7 o'clock. And if somebody needed to break away, they'd break away because we was in a room where we could see what needed to happen or whatever. Now we're meeting outside. So we had to meet at 6 o'clock this morning. And some of my guys had to work till 7. That's a 13-hour day for them. You've, you've calculated in the drive time and get ready time or whatever. It's a 15-hour day for them. Yeah. But not a soul was late. Everybody was there and... and we picked up the pieces as uh, as normal. One of the things that we try to do there that we didn't get to do because it's been so long since we met in that setting is I talk. we talk about some of the stuff, my management and staff and I talk about some stuff that we need to go over. And then we give them the chance to tell us what opportunities are to make us better. Wow. And today we didn't get that piece to them. So instead of being two weeks before we meet again, we're going to meet again next Thursday so they can have their part of the meeting. Love that. 
And then so they get they get buy in. You get buy in because some of it's their idea. Yeah, you show that it, that their their opinions are important and that they you're giving them the credit of knowing, hey, you're doing this every single day. Help us make this better and in turn make your life better, right? And I, I think that there's a huge impact on that as well. Now, do you prepare going into those meetings on a daily basis or is it more of a kind of an organic conversation? So I do prepare. So, but that, that's, that's very flexible because I'll make a list of things that I want to talk about, whether it's enhancement stuff or stuff that we want to prevent from happening again as after a meeting, as we ramp up to the next meeting, but then something can happen the Wednesday before that just changes the direction of the entire meeting. And that's what we carry into it or something comes out or whatever else, something's fresh or recall or, or whatever, and that we need to handle things differently on. So we're very flexible on that, but for the most part, it's, it's fairly structured. That's good. Is there a different approach to, to that meeting that you have with advisors versus technicians. So it sounded like you're, you're doing a, te- a daily technician meetup in the morning, right? So it is different. And because technicians, we sell their time and, and you hear Tully Williams all the time, yeah. hours, hours, hours. And, uh, and that's exactly right. Nothing happens in the service department until you sell time and the parts is just along for the ride. And, and so you go to most stores and they say we start at eight o'clock when technicians start at eight o'clock. Well, their technicians are probably arriving by eight o'clock and then they're getting in their car and rolling down to McDonald's and getting breakfast or they're going over making coffee or whatever, but they're not really getting started until eight thirty, eight forty-five, And that's what you don't get back. You don't get that time back. So my, one of the things in my huddle every morning is getting everybody there on time. Yeah. Because no matter where you go, you take culture out of the equation, technicians are very similar. They just have different names on their shirt. Yeah. You go to one store, you've got a Bob everywhere. He just may not be Bob there. Um, so you kind of steer them back in the direction that you need them in. And when you do that every day and, and then you, you let them know that you're paying attention to what's happening. You, you picked up on this yesterday and you picked up on that yesterday and, and you hit those bright spots. People like hearing their name called out, especially in the crowd. When you keep that positive and you give goals for them to chase after and you give them updates on where those goals are, they they go out and chase it. So on the way into work, they got their their breakfast and and they're drinking their coffee at the meeting. And then when we wrap up, we're going to work. It's time to make something happen. So what happens if somebody doesn't show up on time? they, They get to visit me. (laughs) <laughs> so how does that how does that conversation go then ed like how it is not a rough conversation at all but what i tell them it is a total lack of disrespect to show up to the meeting late because there is things that everybody needs to hear and you wasn't here for it. if they came on late if they come in halfway through the meeting you wasn't here for it and i have to now repeat myself and now we're wasting their time to repeat myself on what you needed to hear is there something i can do to help you get here on time no I'll fix it. You don't have that conversation very many times. I bet. And it's, so yeah. They know that that's important. They know that meeting's important. And no matter how the conversation's going to go, everybody knows when they're called in on the carpet shortly after the, the, the tech meeting's done that they was probably late and they don't want to make that walk of shame. <laughs> so what time do you get to the dealership every morning? 
this morning I got there at 510. 510. Yeah, that was to prepare for the six o'clock meeting or get everything set up for that. But typically I get there between 630 and 645. 630 and 645. So you're there before most people are there, I'd assume. Well, there's another thing that we do a little different as well. A lot of dealers, they'll open up at seven o'clock and start taking customers in and tell them that technicians don't start until eight. Well, a customer got in line to be there first in so he can get something done. He don't want to hear that nobody's there for an hour. Yeah. So our technicians start at seven o'clock as well. That's great. So the, uh, they're out of there at four. And that was my trade-off when we did that. We changed that in 15. Um, they normally worked eight to five. We made it seven to four. Um, but you got your aggressive guys that are, that are going to work right on past four. And every team, we have nine teams. Every team has to have somebody there until seven o'clock because we're open until seven. Yep. As the restaurant opens, that'll probably carry a little later, and they're prepared for that. Um, and that person can come in at nine. So we know who cannot be at the meeting and, and, and who is supposed to be there. Is it their responsibility to, to kind of book out who's uh, going to be there till seven or like how, how, how do you adjust schedules? Is it, you know, is it different per team or is it like, okay, this, this guy's not going to come in till nine and he's going to stay until seven on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or how, how does that scheduling work? So we truly try to prepare our team leaders to take that first step of management and don't need to know who's going to be there. I need to know that they have somebody there. So they work that out amongst themselves. Bob, you take the late shift this week or whatever. And there's times where I don't see somebody there from the gold team and I'll reach out to the team leader and say, hey, who's my late night? And more times than not, I mean, he'll tell me, but more times than not, when somebody, when Bob is supposed to be the late guy and Bob calls him sick on Wednesday and he's supposed to be late guy all that week, I don't have to ask. They know that they need to have somebody there late. So somebody ends up, he might take a two hour lunch and, or whatever. And I don't, I'm okay with that. And then they'll stay late. So there's nine people that ends up being there. Cause it's one person we've seen. And the same with Saturdays. I don't create Saturday schedules as far as who needs to be there. Each team has to have a representative and it could be the same person every week. For the most part, with the exception of every person on the team has to have to work at least one Saturday a quarter. So even though one guy may want to work them all, he still needs a break. He needs, so everybody's yeah. got to participate a bit. That's interesting. So uh, how, how do you split your teams up from the start? So if say once you're, if you're bringing somebody up through and I'll talk about that too, because I think that's important for people to understand. And another thing that just blew me away about what you guys do with the training program of getting uh, young techs up through, but how, how do you, dictate where they're what team they're going to go to does that is it personality based is it uh education based or is it is it uh, technical ability tr uh, based like how, how do you split them up it's a couple of the elements that you just talked about it's technical what can they bring to that team what does that team need the most and what can they bring to it so can they enhance the team and then secondly it's personality you got to have opposing personalities and we got an article that they wrote or that roger Codent wrote in Fix Stops Magazine this month that he interviewed us on because we have tons of females in our service department and that's bucking a trend of 2% nationally. Yeah. And, but that is because our advisors work together as teams as well and we pair opposite strengths and weaknesses there and that's what fits for that. 
Well, it's the same thing in the shop. You don't have as many females that want to work on cars, even though we have some, but everybody's personality is a touch different. And you gotta, you gotta, and you make mistakes, but you yeah. you can only learn this through trial and error, but you gotta pair the personalities that'll complement the other ones that's there. Because then there, there's, there's less standoff, there's, there's, there's less time that they're waiting before they go ask for assistance or whatever, because they all, they warm up and they become buddies and they go fishing together and they do all the stuff that, that you want to happen. So it, it continues to enhance when you make those things. But sometimes you miss it. It's clear when you miss it and you have to make adjustments accordingly. You can't just let it linger out there. Well, and that's, I mean, I, I love that approach too, because that's very much how, when we started Finder Wrench and I was building my team, that was a big piece to me was I didn't want to hire another clone of me, right? Because that doesn't bring a different type of value to the team. So really, I mean, we look at it from the standpoint of everybody that I initially brought on was almost the exact opposite of me <laughs> in terms of the skill that they brought to the table, anything from level of organization to how they manage, you know, if, if we can't have everybody managing the same way as me, otherwise we're, we might not be as effective as we, we probably could be. So that was a, a really big thing. And then for us as a company, admitting what we suck at is a big thing too, right? If, if there's, a, if there's a, something that we're not good at, we want to make sure that we admit that so we, we don't dwell on it and that we, we probably have somebody else on the team that is good at it and let them take care of that piece or let them do something. And, and I'm, I uh, hope I lead that way in terms of saying, you know what, I'm not as strong at this let's give somebody else a crack at it, you know? And I, I, I kind of see a little bit of that there too. Right. It, yeah. it is. And, and my two service managers, you can see it the most with, I have a service manager for the Lincoln store and a service manager for the Ford store. And their, uh, their nickname around the, the uh, store is good cop, bad cop. <laughs> because one is, is not that he's a dictator or whatever, but he's a little more rigid and, will make decisions when you're more rigid, you make decisions with what you have in front of you, not find out all the facts. Yeah. And so he's quick to make a decision without getting all the facts to make you make sure you're following a process that needs to be followed. And my other one is hang on Matt. Let's let's look, let's get all the pieces here. And so they really, really, really complement each other. And I could go, I could give you a hundred scenarios how they complement each other, but they are truly 100% the opposite. And you would think the good cop would be the softy and the bad cop would be the, the one that nobody wants to go see, but it's just the opposite. And it's the opposite with most, but with some of them, because of their personalities, it, that sways around the other way. So it is fun yeah. to, be able to play with that kind of stuff, but it's also a challenge to hire the elements that make all those click. Because if you miss it when you hire somebody in a leadership type role, where you can't just make those adjustments. Right. You're kind of, you're kind of married to that a bit. So you have to mold them a bit or, 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 or coach them through those things. And this is how we need to do it because in a lot of things, a lot of times, and thankfully we don't have to hire from the outside as much anymore. Yeah. A lot of times when you do that, a person comes in and they want to, well, the way we did it at this place or the way we did it at that place. Hear it all the time. Yep. And I'll tell them that I don't mind if you want to do it that way, but I can assure you everybody around you don't care how you did it there. So give them the vision. If you tell them this is the way I want, I'd love for this to happen this way. Give them the vision of what you want and then the path how to get there. Not the way I did it before and it made us successful. So when you give them the vision, they, con they contribute to it. 
Well, and I, I love that. And then the, the piece that kind of helps complement that is not having to go outside to hire as much, right? So when, when, you're, when you're bringing a young person in, and not, maybe not even necessarily a young person, but somebody into your training program, I want you to talk to our audience a little bit about that piece, because again, that's a unique thing that you guys do that I think is different in, in how you're coaching, how you're mentoring, uh, and really how, how you're giving some of these young people coming in a little bit of leash where a lot of other dealerships and any shop for that matter, a lot of times will bring in a young person and have expectations through the roof for that person because of what they're paying them to start off with or, you know, whatever it is. But you, your approach to it is just unbelievably cool. I, I love what you guys do there. So would you mind explaining that a, a little bit uh, in detail as to kind of how somebody gets in and, and how they get to work? So let me just preference that a little bit. Um, in 2012, 2013, I wasn't much different than most other service managers out there as far as I need techs, I need techs. Let me run some ads, interview people, and you just get somebody that's upset somewhere else. Maybe you get a good guy that says, hey, you're closer to me, you're, this fits. It's better for that person, and you hire him. But what you've done is you've created a hole at that store. That guy didn't have an abundance of technicians and just going to let that one go. So now you've created a hole and what's he going to do? Yeah. He's going to the mad. And the guy that's sitting next to the one that you just hired thinks, well, he didn't need to be here. I mean, he's going to take away from my work, sees that ad and he just fills that hole. So what have you done? You, you've, you've hired this other guy, you paid him $2 an hour more than what he's making over there. And then they hired your guy. And yeah. paid him two dollars an hour, so you just drove everybody's cost up. <laughs> and and nobody's happy. Realized yeah, that that approach don't work. Um, it doesn't work long term. It might work short term, but it doesn't work long term. And we we devised a technician development program, and when we devised it initially, it was a night shift because I, we was we had capacity constraints. We hadn't added on to our, our deal, and, and we had a three week wait to get in and. I don't care how well your culture is or how well your loyalty is. You tell a guy with his AC not working that you're not going to see him for three weeks and it's 110 degrees outside and he's going somewhere else. Whether he's got to pay for it or not, he's going somewhere else. So you quickly lose that. So we, we decided that we need to create a night shift and we don't live in a metro area. So there is nobody that works. It's, it's, it's first responders and healthcare workers that work at night around here. And so finding somebody that that fit their lifestyle because their spouse worked or whatever else, and it, it wasn't there. So we devised, well, let's create our own technicians and they won't know any different. Mm -hmm. And they only do it for a window of time, do it through this training program and then they can graduate and go to the other. So that's the way it started was allowing us to build capacity at night but it has evolved and we started it in 15. It has evolved over the years now where I have two trainers and you start however we recruit you, whether it's from a technical school, high school, and however you come in contact with us, you start in quick lane. And going back to 14, we really embraced uh, the uh, two man team process in quick lane. That's a, that's a whole different story that we could spend an hour on. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, and, and so if you start in quick lane, when you start in quick lane, you're going to start on a two man team. So you're all, you're, you're going to get initialized with working with somebody. 
and leaning on them because that's your partner. You got to check off with each other when they make a when he makes a mistake, it's your mistake too. Both of you own it. So you right out of the gate, you become team oriented. And then there's different elements that you have to meet, whether it be time, whether it be production. Yes, you got to be there a certain period of time because you're going to spend your entire probation period in quick lane, no matter how good you are. But after that, that time is flexible. Um, but you got to reach certain production points. You, you're you're going to spend time on different schedules and whatever else. And you kind of know when your next opportunity is to move. And the guy you spoke of earlier was Harley. He knows his next le- next step is TDP. And TDPs are a technician development program. They, they graduate to TDP. And my Ford building and my Lincoln building are both climate-controlled shops. But my quick lane initially was on the side of my Ford building. So it's kind of on the outside. And those six bays are not climate-controlled. Yeah. So that's where TDP is. And I have two previous technicians, master technicians. One of them was a national trainer for Ford for, for a bit. Um, and when I say he was a national trainer for Ford, he was my service manager for a period of time. Ford recruited him from me uh, <laughs> because we was pretty successful with the uh, two-man team in Quick Lane and us who they sent around the country to train these other stores on it. And he got tired of traveling and wanted to come back. So he came back as my technical trainer and as one of them. And the, uh, so the guys graduate from, from Quick Lane, depending on the amount of time, that they're, when they hit their elements. And that's where the port card utilization, that's the things that they need to do and do properly over there. And uh, they, they go to TDP. And in TDP, it's, it will become more structured, but it's, it's, it's very well structured now. But yeah. there's still opportunity to enhance it. Anytime you think that you've reached your maximum or your peak, you're, you're, you're backing up. So, but there is certain things that they need to do right out of the gate. There's some web-based training that they need to do with some safety stuff. So they'll, they'll spend three or four days doing some web-based stuff. May work on some cars a bit, but most likely not. And my trainers do not work on cars. They aid the guys fresh out of quick lane to work on those cars. That is huge. And to paint a visual for, for our, uh, again, for our audience, it's thinking of how, how many bays are in that, in that shop? Is it six? Six. Or, almost. Yeah. Six bays with two trainers that are specific for that. And their primary responsibility is not to work on cars. It is to train these, these younger up and coming techs on how to do the jobs properly. And I I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is you have them shadow another tech or you have them and their, their focus is on making the money. If If they're paid on flat rate, they need to, put out work right and so their number one focus is that whereas this is different this is their job and how they're judged is based on the quality of tech that comes out of that program and i to me that you just absolutely knock that out of the park because of that you treat that as a separate department and maybe department's not the right word for it but i mean it's it's you're it's a separate kind of department yeah and so they're and they're working on actual customer vehicles right so we dispatch work by the last digit of the RO. So there is no, well, this advisor gives that to them. No, they get their number. Um, they get nine. Anything that ends in the nine, they end up with. And uh, unless it's transmission, it stays with them. Wow. So it doesn't matter whether it's diesel, gas, air conditioning, water leak, rattle, they get it. That can go into that, into that training center. 
Yeah. So if, uh, if you've got a blown engine in an F-150, it can go over there, no problem. The only thing they're not doing is transmissions. Wow. Because transmissions is, is probably one of the needs most, I can't say that needs the highest skill level, but it needs a thinker. You have to think about power flow to be able to properly diagnose a transmission and they're too early into that. Yeah. So that, that's something that can develop. Later that's some on. complicated stuff. It is. Yeah. Um, it's fairly simple once you understand it all, but to lay it out there and think, man, how's this work? Um, that's, that's too deep for them right out of the gate. It's still too deep for me, Ed. But I think that's the ultimate compliment uh, for what you are doing down there. Because I, I think, again, it's something that I think a lot of people talk a big game on and they, they say that they're doing all of this stuff. But you giving me the video tour of it, I had yet to see anything like that where it, you have a dedicated training department You've got probably a higher skill level, you know, if it's that master technician or, or master, you know, it's, it's a higher level tech that's uh, watching over these, these young techs and being able to, to train them up the right way in the way that you want to do things. And you're able to kind of, you trust those, those, the two guys that are out there right now, you trust them with the quality side, you trust them with, you know, they've, they've done some level of earned trust up to that, that point to where, you put somebody out there and you know that they're going to, you know that they're going to train them the way that you want to. And that, that speaks volumes about you guys and the quality of people that you have there in the first place. It does. The, uh, let, let me carry you through that path a little bit further real quick. They'll spend however amount of time there and, and the, the trainers kind of tell me what they need to do. And, and, but each week they have certain web-based stuff. So when they come out of there, they're, they're totally done with all the web-based they cannot go to Ford school until they complete TDP. So they got to graduate TDP before they can go offsite training, but they're ready to go. All the prerequisites are done. So that's one requirement for them to graduate. And then they, the, my trainers have to tell me when they're ready. The motivation for them to have them ready is there's a thousand dollars that gets split up between the two of them. So each one of them gets $500 every time they graduate somebody, wow. they get 250 at point of graduation and they get 250 at 90 days after they've been out there. Then they go into the shop into climate control. So they're looking for that graduation. So they go into the climate control shop. Every team gets a C-level technician and they come out of TDP as a C-level technician. And then your best people are usually your group leaders. And it's their job to support their C-level technician. They know they don't have one and, and it's their job to support them. So for the first 90 days, it's the trainer's responsibility to make sure his people continue to make it because if they don't, they have to come back. They don't get the other 250. So they'll continue to support them. And they got the, the leverage of this, the group leader to support them. So really their support level goes up as soon as they go into the main shop. And the group leader does make for easy numbers and, and there's ways that they can multiply it or whatever, but for easy numbers, if they miss everything else, they get 50 cent an hour for their text that for the hours they turn, but for their seat tech, they get a dollar. Um, so they double their money from that, but there's levels if they, they got to meet certain period, certain percentages with report cards as a team and those kind of things that can drive that up. So they can get, they can get up $2 a tech an hour for a tech, but they got to hit all the elements to be able to do that. So the support continues on from the time that they leave TDP until they're really kind of standing on their own and doing their thing and supporting each other. All the guys from TDP, after they've been out there for a bit, they're, they're kind of create their own little culture. 
and they support each other. So you'll see them lean on each other before they go lean on somebody else if they're not getting if not getting the support they need from this one or that person not there or whatever. They support each other. So we're a very inner supportive team or shop, and uh, yeah. that pays dividends. Oh, and you can tell. I mean, I, that's that's something again that you you can't put on paper, but when you see it, it it is different. And and um, I I think that's that's so cool. And so, uh, do you bring? Is it a group of techs that goes into it at the same time, or they're they're continually cycling in and they don't have to match up with a group? Or how does that work from when you the time that you hire that young tech to go in to your uh, training center to the, it? it I'm assuming it's one-offs, but is it, are you grouping them up at the same time? So they have almost like a class or is it more of a individual setting? So we usually graduate them in at least pairs. Graduate them quickly in those pairs because they had to meet their certain elements together as a team. So that team graduates and go to TDP. But we don't graduate anybody from quick lane until we're ready to graduate somebody in TDP because we need to create those voids. So yes, right. they, they come out in pairs. One of the biggest things that we heard as we we're building this Lincoln store and I'm talking about, I had that shop and I'm still building the Lincoln store, we're building the phases and I'm not done with the third phase, but the second phase was parts and service. And we've been in there since October, but for a year that we was building that thing, you go to 20 group meetings or NADA or whatever else. And you tell them you're adding on 50 bays to your, your, your service center. And everybody thought, where are you going to get text put in there? <laughs> they can't keep text for their own. But that was never a concern for us. Right. Because we're planning for that. Going forward long-term, now that we've kind of built that the Lincoln piece up and we're, we've created a cop shop now, we was we do a lot of we sell a lot of cop cars, um, and we was sent it to another company for them to outfit those cars. We've brought that in house, so we've trained those guys to do that. But there'll come a point to where I don't need to grow them at six and eight technicians at a time. I need to grow them at three because I need to keep up with my ones that's retiring or whatever right. else. And so one of those guys will take on a different role and do something different. I'll have one trainer and he'll keep up with three guys or whatever. So that'll slow down at some point, but during our expansion and bringing on mobile trucks and putting four guys on there, I mean, that's not going to slow down for another couple of years. I, I love it. And you never know what kind of business uh, comes in the meantime to, to keep that growing too. You know, that if you keep going in growth mode and, and you're able to grow your own and, and really continue to gain the, you know, gain traction with the culture and, and really, the sky's the limit for you. I mean, it's probably more physical limitations than in terms of building size. And if some of it goes more mobile, it might allow you to more, you know, more ability to get out and see people. So you're not as limited. I, and even with that part, you guys are advanced on getting that mobile care set up and, and really uh, leading the front on that side too. So that's where I think it's, it's exciting for me to watch somebody like you in action because you can see, you know, while you, you plan for there to be kind of a ceiling uh, in that, in that sense, I could see that still growing even beyond that as you, as you move forward, right? Like I, and you're set up for the future to where if that is the case, you're able to do that. And I think that's a really exciting thing. If, if you're a potential tech or a salesperson or whatever it is going into that environment, that creates a lot of excitement about where you're going. Right. And that's, that's a, I, I guess I, I give you a tip of the hat for that and, and everything that you've done there. And I, I guess we could spend about four hours on this stuff, I think, because I, I just love picking your brain on this stuff. But I want to go from more of a personal level as we kind of get, like roll up this, this podcast. 
And I want to talk about kind of your upbringing and, and some of the stuff that really creates that drive that you've got, because I, I see something different there too, right? You, you've got a different drive for leadership. You've got maybe a different gear than a lot of people do. Where does that come from? Where does that, I mean, you, you talked about not having money when you're growing up and, and I didn't grow up in a wealthy family either. And I think that there's some level of chip on your shoulder from a young age to where you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I, I think for me to, to, to understand that part about people and understand what drives you is, is really cool. Uh, where, where do you, where do you get that from? There's, there's a few elements that ties there, but it, it really starts with what I grew up in. I grew up in a ghetto and probably being the next to the youngest of five um, helped because I was able to watch my older siblings make mistakes and get arrested and go to jail because in those environments, that's what you put yourself in. You put yourself into crime and drugs and whatever, because that's what everybody is doing around you yeah. in the ghetto. And so I was able to learn from them and say, Hey, this, this isn't all that cool. And when I, uh, when I went to tech school during high school, the, uh, I thought I could, I could get the hang of this. And I was the only kid in my family that graduated high school. And all of them told me that I ain't going to get you anywhere, blah, blah, blah. You can't do anything with a diploma any, anymore and whatever. And it didn't matter. I was going to do something different than them. And the, uh, and I, I lost my sister during that time. She, hmm. she, was a crackhead and uh, she passed oh. away. You can only abuse the body for so long. So it's just those things being younger, looking up at that was easier for me to say, I have to do something different. Yeah. And then um, we kind of had a career day at the high school when I was getting close to graduating and a dealership come up there or fixed ops director come up and ended up setting up an interview with, they went to the store and interviewed and, the uh somebody listen to this podcast and it'll ring bells to them <laughs> so i went up and interviewed with him i won't say any names and and he hired me um i was going to start in his shop at eight bucks an hour and when i tell you that i grew up and well so he says i won't be here next week um i went through the drug test and back then they had us go see a shrink and they kind of figured out if it was honest people or whatever and went through all that and cleared and he says well, i won't be here next week i'll be on vacation and you come and see my assistant and he'll put you to work so i had no money i've lied to him and said i got tools to start with and truly i this this is some of what i did as growing up and, and i'll just be quite honest i was i was a junk man i went out yeah. and i dug in dumpsters i got cardboard out of glass bottles aluminum cans that's what did after high school every single day to make enough money to buy food on the table Wow. And so that weekend uh, I went out and, and worked as hard as I could to do whatever. And, and Monday morning I turned stuff in and, and pick up 400 and something dollars from all that stuff from over the weekend. And that's a good weekend, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, went to Sears, bought me $400 worth of tools. Well, I kind of told my family all through that weekend, that that's what I'm doing and whatever else. And, they all told me, you ain't going to make it. You ain't going to make it with the big boys. You're not one of them. You're not going to make it. And then I showed up at that dealership on Monday or on Tuesday morning. And I tell the guy that, Hey, this guy hired me, told me to come in and see you. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't hire me. He, he says, I can't, I can't let you start. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry what he told you. I, I can't put you to work. And I said, you don't understand. He's already hired me. Here's what I'm supposed to be making. 
here's who I'm going to be working with. I'm going to be working with Terry. The, uh, and just, just tell me where you're going to put my tools. He says, I, 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 can't, I can't bring you on. I'm sorry. So I left there, and I'm sitting at the traffic light out in front of the place, and I'm thinking, they was right. So I, I made a decision. I said I could turn left, go back home, go take the stuff back to Sears, get my money back, and be who I'm at. Well, I can turn right and see if there's something else out there. Wow. So I turned right, drove about five miles down the road, and there was another Ford store. So I turned right into there and, uh, and gave him the same story. And he says, I'll give you a chance. I'm not going to pay the eight bucks now. They was going to pay you. I'll pay you five bucks an hour because he's thinking there's something underlying. And uh, he gave me the opportunity. And that was the, that was the chance I needed. I needed somebody to give me the opportunity. Yeah. I was apprentice tech for two weeks before they made me flat rate. Two and weeks. <laughs> the, uh, but the, the thing that reignited that, and, and I had a strong career. I, I was, I was quick to become respected within Ford and then Ford recruited me in, in 2000 and I went to work for them and spent a couple of years there. But what really reignited that as if I wasn't already ignited was when I took that phone call from the gentleman and he's going over a few things with me and then as he's starting to hang up and he says, Hey, I got something I want to talk to you, but well, I'll just talk to you about next week. I said, well, I need to tell you about next week. I'm not going to be there. Oh, you have to. I said, no, it was my daughter, or I didn't know it was my daughter because we didn't find out. And I said, yeah. my kid's going to be born. She's due next Tuesday, and, and uh, I'm going to be here for the birth of that because the quarterly meeting was a couple hundred miles away. It was over in Tampa. I was in Orange Park. And he says, well, you can just leave if she goes into labor. I says, you don't understand. I'm not yeah. going to be there. He says, eh, is it her first kid? Yeah. Well, some, they're not even on time anyway. They're either early or late. And I said, I am not going to be there. He yeah. says, you may not have a job to come back to. I said, that's fine. But I'm done talking, and I hung up the phone. And he called back and whatever else, and he was probably going to tell me it was okay. But it didn't matter. I was done with him at that point. And uh, I took off. She ended up having our daughter on, uh, on her due date. Wow. And I burned up the rest of my vacation before I went back, and I went back, put my notice in. And that ignited the fire in me, and I said, I'll make that guy regret what happened there and not that i wasn't motivated beforehand yeah um, but it certainly lit a fire to, to do something and make something happen that's crazy i that is such a cool story and i you start to see why you do some of the things that you do and the way that you handle them i didn't know the story about the growing up in the ghetto and that kind of stuff i mean that's that's deep and I, I have chills just talking about it and hearing your background and how you got to where you're at and why people mean so much to you and, and why that culture means so much to you. I think the why is as important as anything. And that's why you're doing this stuff. And I, I, uh, I'm kind of uh, taken aback by it a little bit. I can't wait to share this with everybody just because I think it's, uh, it's very inspirational to see you know, where, you've, where you started at and to where you're at today and uh, in running one of the best dealerships that I've, I've ever seen. So I, that, that meant a lot to me, Ed. I thought that was really, really cool. That, that uh, really touched me there. Thank you. The, uh, it's been a fun ride. I have been blessed in this business, and, and the person that gave me the chance way back in 92 is still a very, very good friend of mine, and uh, we have stayed connected, and, and it, uh, it's been a fun ride. And but yes, you can look back at, I mean, just, just look at it from that standpoint of seven technicians, seven and a half years ago, 
to by the time we're at the eight year mark, we're going to be at 80 or 82 technicians and over hundred percent productive with every one of them. Obviously you got some that's not going to be hundred percent productive, but the shop is yeah. over hundred percent productive. I don't want to mislead anybody there. And the, to create the culture that's there to get everybody singing on the same song sheet and to be able to just at a moment's notice, make a change and just turn the ship in a whole different direction when need be and get everybody rowing the boat that direction is uh is a cool thing to be a part of and i don't i don't take the credit because that's not me i don't fix the cars i don't write the cars up or whatever and and my people appreciate getting that uh getting the level of respect that they get from that because they deserve it but they turn it back on me but it's not me i, I don't do it they do it and that's why they uh that's why they try to point it to you because that's uh i think how you treat people and the way that you treat people and the respect that you treat people with goes a long way. And I, uh, I, I've got a lot to learn from you, my friend. I, uh, I, I think there's a lot of just general business advice and a, a lot of just general good life advice on kind of everything that we talked about here today. And I, uh, I'll definitely listen to this back again. And I, I know just some of it really hit home with me and, and how, how you were raised. And, and I think the funny part is with a lot of the successful people that we talk to on this podcast, there's a lot of that underlying theme of, you know, that, that I don't want to say chip on your shoulder, but the, you know, I'm going to prove the world wrong. And, and I'm, I'm doing this that fire, yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, uh, I appreciate your time today. I, uh, I'm going to probably make a trip down to see you at some point so I can get a burger and a beer with you at the, uh, at the new Ford's garage. That'll be a part of the dealership here soon. And, and uh, maybe get, get a sip of that whiskey. There you go. (laughs) Well, thank you for being on, man. I, I really, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for inviting me.